If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 10. This will be our uh, last sermon from the book of Daniel. We're going to try to cover three chapters in the next few minutes. Um, and what happens with the book of Daniel, um, he has these four visions. And so we covered a vision in Daniel chapter 7, and then you get a closer glimpse in chapter 8. Chapter 9 is a new vision. And then 10 through 12 is his fourth and final vision. And what happens is it's kind of like a picture. You have this picture and then you zoom in on the focus. And what we're going to see is Daniel zooms in on the focus of some previous visions. The angel shows up and gives him some more understanding on what he's already seen. And yet what we see is there's a lot in it for you and for me. And so today you're going to see three pictures that Daniel develops in these three chapters about who God is. And so I want us to see God as his word reveals him to be. This is a reliable source. There's a lot of people who have a lot of ideas on who God is. And yet God has showed us exactly who he is in creation and in his word. And so we want to look and see these pictures that Daniel shows us. And then there's a response that we should have to who God is. So if God is a God who hears his people, his people should pray. Right. We're going to see this three times in this three chapters. I was talking uh, last night. I've got a, a second grader and a fourth grader. And I'll tell you what, sometimes they turn up the heat. So I go in and I'm praying for them. Amen. And then I try to get to the door before they ask questions, because once they start, they use a delay game that is impeccable. They are able to stall going to sleep with the best of them. So I go in, we pray, amen. All right, I'm going. Dad, second grader starts. Who's God's mom and dad? Who's God's mom and dad? I'm like, well, hon, God's not like you and me. He's eternal. He's always been. And then the fourth grader, so he doesn't have a birthday? No, God doesn't. And then the second grader, he always has a birthday. Every day is his birthday. Like, oh, hang on. And then... We get, well, what about Mary? Talk about Jesus. How, yes, Mary is Jesus' mother. Jesus is fully God. Oh, so he has a birthday. Yes and no. He was born. He became man, but he's always been God. Try to explain that to a second grader and a fourth grader. And then I started thinking, sometimes I have a hard time grasping the bigness and greatness of God. Just one, one characteristic of God. God is eternal. That right there, just that characteristic, blows our minds out of the water. He's outside of time. He's always been and he always will be. There is no starting point to God. There's no ending point to God. That's how big our God is. And so what's helpful today is Daniel gives us three snapshots of who God is. And so I want us to be blown away by the bigness of God this morning. Because I think when we grasp his greatness, it changes what we do in our day to day lives. The main point of this text is, and I think the book of Daniel, is that we serve a God who delivers. And the God who delivered will be the God who delivers. Because what happens with Daniel is you read it and you're like, oh, that's nice. He's spared from this wicked king and he escapes this wicked kingdom. 
His boys make it through the furnace. They're delivered and he's delivered from the lion's den. And, and that's nice. But then what happens is Daniel starts to get up close and personal, right? And so, Tucker, right now you should be a little bit uncomfortable, right? Because I'm up in your personal space. Back here, we're fine. And, and we see these stories from afar like, oh, yeah, that's great for Daniel. But from 7 to 12, he gets up in our business. And he gets up close and personal. And now here's the point. You and I will need a deliverer. Someone has to deliver us from our sin, and someone has to deliver us from the grave. Because none of us can overcome that on our own. And now here's the good news. The God who delivered will be the God who delivers. That's what I want us to see this morning. All right, so let's pray, and then we'll do some work. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for gathering us together this morning on a beautiful February morning where we experience 60 degree weather. We thank you for it. Father, I thank you for gathering us. It's not by accident that we're here this morning. And so I pray that you clear some distractions from our head with whatever we're concerned about, whether it's practice coming up or a game later on tonight or, or different health issues and different relationship issues. I pray that you clear our minds so we can focus on who you are. And I pray that we see you more clearly and pursue you more passionately. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, we'll start with Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. And, and what we see, the picture that he gives us here is we serve a God who hears, so we should pray. Daniel chapter 9, most of the chapter was filled with Daniel praying. And we saw four things on how we should pray. We should dive into the Bible. Let the Bible direct our prayers. A lot of times we don't know what we should talk to God about. Well, the Word of God is a good place to start. It lets us know what to pray about and for. So we dive into the Bible. We deal with sin. We see again and again and again Daniel is confessing sin as you and I should be also. None of us have arrived. We all have to fight sin. And when we mess up, we confess it to God. And then we do what Daniel did, depend on God's mercy. I love how Daniel comes before God and he goes, God, we need you to hear us, not because of what we've done, but because of your great mercy. That is an awesome place to be in approaching God. That's the only way to approach God. Think about the arrogance you would have if you think you can approach God on your own terms because of something you've done. God who is perfect, who is absolutely holy, who is bigger than we can dare imagine, allows us into his presence, not because we're worthy, but because of his grace. It cost his son his life, and now we have access to the throne. That's great mercy. And then we see we desire God's glory. The whole reason Daniel is praying to him in chapter 9 was for his name's sake. So we want our prayers to line up with God's glory, not our own. So you should work towards God's glory. You should play towards God's glory. You should study towards God's glory. You should be married to the glory of God. You should be single to the glory of God. You see how this changes every area of your life. And we see that last week. And then this week, we see two reasons of why we should pray. First reason is we serve a God who hears us when we pray. Verse 2 of Daniel chapter 10. In those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. He's fasting and praying for three weeks over the same thing. Three weeks. 21 days. That's a long time to pray for something. Day in and day out. You're hoping God responds. You haven't heard. Day 15, day 16, do you keep praying? 
21 days. Let's see what happens. Verse 11 and 12. An angel shows up. Now, real quick, when you think of angels, I think we do a disservice in media when you see an angel, right? It's a light and fluffy, always flying figure. Pretty weak stuff, right? You might think of Cupid, right? Oh, that's cute. When angels show up in the Bible, it is a terrifying thing. Men who are brave and courageous and are warriors fall down trembling. And this is what happens to Daniel. This angel shows up and Daniel faints, falls on his face, falls asleep. He passes out. The angel has to wake him up. And then we get to verse 11. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel. Right, Daniel, my man's terrified. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Isn't that an amazing statement? From the first time he started praying 21 days ago, God heard him and he sent a messenger. It just took him a while to get there. What an amazing truth you see in that verse. God hears and responds when one of his people are praying. And the awesome news is what's true of Daniel can be true of you. We see in the New Testament promises like what we find in 1 Peter 3. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayer. And we understand that our righteousness isn't because we do right things, it's because righteousness that comes from Christ. Right? It's given to us. So all who are trusting in Jesus and following Jesus, God hears us when we pray. Or you can see in 1 John 5, 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will... He hears us. He hears us. And so understand this. This is not what I'm saying. I'm not saying hey, if I pray for a new Jeep Wrangler, it's going to happen because God hears me when I pray. That's not what it's saying. That's not what Daniel's saying. What it's saying is when you line your prayer up with the Word of God, with what God wants for your life, He hears you and He responds. An angel was sent the moment Daniel opened up his mouth to God. That is an unbelievable truth that should change how we pray. I re remember I was talking to uh, the basketball team. It was the day uh, Coach Carr couldn't make it. He was, had different appointments. What was that day, Ian? Was it Friday? Friday after school. We have practice, and I'm talking, and we have the attention of some of the guys, and some of the guys are looking at the ground, talking to each other, going after to get water, and I'm wondering, like, am I wasting my time telling them about this play that we're going to see Tuesday night for a district game? Like I'm speaking, but are they listening? And sometimes we approach God in the same manner. I've called on God this many times before and nothing seems to happen. I don't know if he hears me. I don't know what's going on. Is it worth this? Understand this truth. We serve a God who hears his people when they pray. So let's pray. So that's one motivation factor, one why. But the second one is this. We fight a battle, and one of our greatest weapons in this battle is prayer. You want to know why this angel took 21 days? This is where it gets crazy. God pulls back the curtain 
on an unseen reality that me and you can't see. And it's a cosmic battle that is going on. Verse 13 and 14. The prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now listen, this isn't a prince like uh, uh, Prince Henry or somebody like that. This is a spiritual reality fighting against God's people. The prince of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, one of the chief angels, you know, you've heard of Michael before, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is happening to your people in the latter days, for this vision is of days yet to come. So I don't know about you, but now you see a sense of, of how big a deal this is. Daniel, you prayed, and I was, fight, I was busy. I wasn't just chilling out. I was fighting a battle, but so that you know you're greatly loved. I left the battle. Michael had my back. I came to you so you can know what's going to happen. That's a pretty powerful statement. But then we keep reading. After he shows him what's going to happen, after he shows Daniel what's going to happen, he says, but now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece shall come. So this angel goes out, fights against Persia, and that kingdom ends. And then we see Alexander the Great on the scene and Greece rises in power. And so you see the spiritual forces at work, and that's who you and I battle with. Paul makes that clear in Ephesians. Ephesians 6, if you're taking notes, you need to write that chapter down. Ephesians 6, really 10 through 20 is the passage. It talks about putting on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You don't wrestle against other people. Your beef is not with another person. There's something bigger going on that you cannot see. And Paul makes it very, very clear. This is who you're wrestling against. You're wrestling against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Now, one of those pieces of armor that you put on, one of the weapons that you have at your disposal to fight this battle is prayer. You see this in verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with prayer and all supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication, praying for all the saints. Now, this is one thing that I know. My guess is that in the room, all of us included, we have not prayed for everybody this week. And I think one reason is we don't realize God hears us when we pray. And another reason is I think we forget everybody's in the same battle and we're facing the same enemy. And the enemy is very powerful. And yet we have this at our disposal that if we pray and intercede on each other's behalf, we'll be able to stand against the schemes that are coming our way from our common enemy. It reminds me of a fight. Now, listen, I know some of you guys are not into the uh, fighting uh, MMA and boxing uh, arenas, but I just want to share with you. MMA is mixed martial arts. Right? Mixed martial arts. And all that means is the guys that fight in this organization can do karate, jujitsu, they can wrestle, they can box, they can do judo, they can do kickboxing, they can use elbows, knees, they can break your ankle, your arm. Bad dudes over here in MMA. And then in this arena you have boxing. And in boxing you can use your right hand and your left hand. You shouldn't use your teeth, you'll get disqualified. You can headbutt, you'll get disqualified. If you throw a leg kick, you'll be disqualified. You get to use hands, and you got big gloves. And so there's this guy, Conor McGregor, who is an expert in MMA. He can do jujitsu, he knows how to wrestle, he knows how to throw kicks. 
And so he goes in to fight Floyd Money Mayweather. But it's a boxing match. And what happens is Floyd and Conor McGregor are going back and forth. And you understand early on that Conor McGregor is not going to have a chance in this battle. Right? Mayweather rope-a-dopes him, tires him out, and then whoops him. Why? Because he couldn't use all of his weapons. Can you imagine getting hit in the leg with a bat right here, like a charley horse? That's what it feels like to get leg kick. Can you imagine Conor McGregor just throwing a leg kick to a boxer? The fight would have been over. But he loses the fight because he can only use his hands. You're in a fight. And if you're not praying, you're not putting on the whole armor of God. And now listen, this is a whole different sermon, but understand this. One of the greatest weapons at your disposal is your access to your Father who you have in Christ. Do not neglect going to the Father. Pray for each other. You are in a battle. And I think if we saw the spiritual realities that are going on, we would spend a lot more time on our knees praying. All right, so number one, He is a God who hears, so we should pray. Number two, He is a God who controls, so we should trust. And, and this has been all through Daniel. Right? This is, you, you just put this on rerun. You see this in Daniel chapter 1 from the very beginning. God's people go into captivity, and yet it is God who raises up the king to take them in captivity. Right? Well, why does he do it to his own people? Because his own people were running from him. But guess what happens in captivity? They return to God. And you see, God is controlling all of these ins and outs of the kings and the kingdoms. And then you see in chapter 11. Now listen, this is a long chapter. Long chapter going from 11.1 all the way down to verse 36. What happens is they narrow in this picture, focus in this picture, and you see what happens after Alexander the Great. And Daniel calls it king by king by king. Now listen, I'm going to spare you the details, but understand this from verse 11.3 all the way to 33 and 35, he covers 200 years of history. And it's spot on. He even calls, he even calls the treaties by marriage. I had no idea on some of this stuff, but he calls the guys like Ptolemy. He calls the guys like Seleucus. He calls the guys like Antiochus and how they merge with a marriage of a daughter to another king from Egypt to Syria. All of this is in chapter 11, and this has already happened. And Daniel called it before it happened. Now, why is that important? The reason this is important is because it didn't catch God by surprise. He knew what was going on. He's organizing history in such a way that it works out exactly according to his plan. From Genesis to Revelation, we know how this thing ends. And now here's the point. When you see Daniel chapter 11, this is what happened. Here's the cool part. For Daniel, he's saying, hey, this is going to happen. This is going to happen one day. For you and I, we're like, oh, man, that already happened. God's word was right. Now, why is that important? Because from verse 36 and all the way in chapter 12, all the way to Revelation, there are a lot of things that haven't happened yet. But they're in the book. And this is what I see. This helps build our faith. The God who organized history in 300 B.C. all the way to 160 B.C. is the same God who organizes history today. He knows exactly what's going on. He sees it. He's in control. So we can trust in Him. 
We can trust him. He knows what he's doing. He's been doing it for a long time. The eternal God, all-powerful God, is working all things according to his plan. So I'm going to trust him. Even when it doesn't make sense, I'm going to trust him. And then we go to the third and final picture. So you have a picture that God hears, that God controls. The third picture is that he's a God who delivers. And I think it's, it's important when you get to chapter 12, you, you see right off the bat, verse 1. And this was in the vision in chapter 7. This is the vision in chapter 8. It's the vision in chapter 9. Pointing to a time of suffering. Bad things are coming. And you see verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never had been seen. There was a nation till that time. There's a time of trouble coming that has never been seen. And so I want you to be clear. If you're following Jesus, do not expect an easy life. That's never been promised to you. When Jesus had all these guys coming to him, right? Jesus serves a meal, feeds 5,000 people, and then all of a sudden all the people want to go to him. Right? Oh, man, this is awesome. He's going to feed us. He's healing us. Like, like this is the easy street right here. Follow this guy. Everything's taken care of. And then Jesus starts talking crazy. He's like, hey, if you're going to follow me, you need to take up your cross. Like, oh, whoa, whoa, hold up. And as a matter of fact, Jesus promises his followers that you will suffer. And he goes, but endure. And then you see in Hebrews, he says, hey, keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. What did he endure? He endured the cross. Scorning his shame, sat down at the right hand of the Father. And it says, set your mind on him. Because you also have to take up your cross and follow him. Suffering is coming. <coughs> Things are not going to go right here. We live in a fallen world. Sin abounds. We keep our eyes on Jesus and then we look for our deliverer. Verse 2 keeps going. So this time of trouble is coming that has never been seen. But at that time... The end of days, at that time, your people shall be delivered. Your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name is found written in the book. Now, real quick, that book is also referred to in Revelation chapter 20. And it's the book of life. If your name is in that book, salvation and everlasting life is coming. I think it's interesting here. You see the word deliver. This has been what Daniel has all been about. When you look at delivering, uh, you start with chapter 1, Daniel's delivered from captivity. He's in captivity, delivered from the king. He's put in a good spot. Things are going well with him because God is with him. He set a diet. He's wiser than other guys. Why? Because God is with him. He is delivering him out of the captivity. Then in chapter 2, we see a death sentence goes out to the wise men. And yet it's God who delivers Daniel and his boys. They pray for wisdom to interpret a crazy king's dream, and he does just that. Why? Because God is a God who delivers. Chapter 3, fiery furnace. And, and I, you can't miss this when you read the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 3, this is what the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, is asking Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, if you are ready, when the music plays, fall down and worship the image that I have made, and it will be well and good for you. Right? That's a pretty easy thing. You don't even have to mean it, just bend the knee. And then you won't be thrown into the furnace. But 
If you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? That's what the king is asking Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's what Daniel is asking in his book. Who will there be to deliver? You and I aren't going to survive an oven. And that's why the king asks, hey, if you don't do this, you're done. There is no one to deliver. Or at least that's what the king thought. And then listen to their response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to him, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at this picture, they do have a need to answer. Because they're in a heap of trouble. They're a few footsteps away from their lives disappearing and being turned to ash. And yet they say, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us out of your hand, O king. True statement. They go into the furnace. God rescues them. Not a hair is torched. And they're rescued. And then we see in Daniel chapter 4, God again delivers Daniel from the crazy king. Nebuchadnezzar has this weird dream of how he's going to be humiliated. Bad news given to a crazy king usually ends in a death sentence, and yet God delivers Daniel. And then you see in Daniel chapter 5, one kingdom falls, another kingdom rises, and the Medes and the Persians come into power, and yet Daniel and his people are delivered. And then you see in Daniel chapter 6, and it's interesting, it reflects back to Daniel chapter 3. The king commanded Daniel to be brought and cast into the den of lions. You don't have a chance against lions. And what does the king say? The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And that's exactly what God does. He shuts the mouths of lions. Now, that's a big deal. All of those six chapters, the main theme is we serve a God who delivers. And why is that important? Because 7 through 12 shows us we need someone to deliver us. And so you see in chapter 7, God's people are eternally delivered. There is sin that is atoned for. How does that happen? How is our sin paid for? This is what Daniel's problem was. This is why they're in captivity, because they keep running from God. You and I do the same thing. We run from God. Who will atone for our sin? There's two options. You will forever in the place the Bible makes clear, called hell, array from God, eternally separated from Jesus, or... Or you'll turn to the one who made payment for your sin. And that's what Daniel 7 was talking about. When sin has been dealt with, when sin has been atoned for. And then you get to chapter 8. We're delivered from a ruler who sought to destroy God's people. And he'll be destroyed, but by no human hand. Chapter 9, we're delivered from sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 is a verse we should know for our sake. God made Jesus be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's how we can stand before God. That's how your name and my name can be written in the book of life. And then in chapter 12, we see that we're delivered from death. So I asked, I asked some guys uh, this week, I have a team time. I got 15 students that are in my team time. We do writing prompts. And, and this week you see how fragile life is. How unexpectedly life can end. A helicopter crashes, nine people die. It's an unexpected turn. Life is fragile. And so I, I asked some of my guys, what happens when you die? Is there any hope beyond the grave? And so just check out some of their response. One student said, your soul leaves your body 
and goes blackout for years? That's one answer. Another answer, I think your soul leaves your body and you go to heaven, I hope. Another student, I don't know what happens when you die. Pretty honest. Pretty honest. Another student, when you die, you go to heaven. If you don't go to heaven, you go to hell forever. Another student, your soul leaves your body and you go up and God judges and where you go is where you end up. At least I think. I like his caveat. <laughs> Willie, you either go to heaven or you go to hell. Another student, I think your soul leaves your body and goes up to the sky. Anything, because I don't know what to believe. That's a lot of people. Another student, kind of got the, the wrong question. When I die, a lot of people will miss me. <laughs> That's what will happen. True statement. I think that uh, when you die, you go to sleep and you dream of what your life could have been. Kind of sad. And then the last student, it goes into the ground. Right? So when I'm, I'm reading this and I'm seeing this, a lot of people have no clue what happens when you die. And yet Daniel and the Bible makes it clear what happens. So in Daniel chapter 12, afterward delivered, found written in the book of life, look at verse 2, and many of those who sleep, right, many of those who sleep in the dust, that's another way to say many people who died, right? The Bible always paints a, a nicer picture. They don't say, hey, those that have died, they say, hey, those who sleep in the dust, and the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And that's it. At the end of days, when Jesus returns, those who are with Christ will receive new bodies and they'll be raised to everlasting life. Death is not final. That's what the cross and the resurrection proved. Can you, you see pictures of this all the time. Jesus is hanging out with his disciples. They get news, hey, Lazarus died. For you and I, that would mean, hey, we're going to go back home to Jerusalem and bury a friend. We got to sit through a funeral. For Jesus, that means, hey, don't worry about it. I got this covered. And he shows up four days after he died. They row the stone away. The ladies are like, hey, Jesus, he's going to stink. He's like, hey, just believe I'm the resurrection and the life. Though you die, you will live. And they're like, what are you talking about? No, he's dead. He's dead. He's not alive. And Jesus says, hey, Lazarus, come on out. And he comes out of the tomb. Wasn't a hard thing for Jesus to do. Why? Because he rules over the grave. And then we see a greater reality with Jesus, dead, buried in a tomb. And God says, hey, come on up. And just like that, Jesus is raised from the grave. And the Bible again and again and again says, hey, the same power, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave will raise your mortal bodies one day. Your perishable bodies, your dying and decaying bodies. That same spirit will give you a new, imperishable body. Give you a body that won't fade. A body that's not touched by sin and disease. A body that doesn't fade. The big word for that is glorification. And that's where we're headed. And then we keep reading in this. And, and I, I, just, I think it's interesting how the text leaves it. You see in verse 13, 
The angel tells Daniel, Daniel's trying to get the, the time frame. He's like, oh man, this is going to be bad. This is going to be a time of suffering, but there's a deliverer coming. Uh, angel, could you give me a little bit more on that? Am I going to be alive during this? Is it for our people now? Is it for later? And this is what the angel leaves him with. But go your way till the end and you shall rest, right? You shall die, but you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. People with dead bodies don't stand. And here, God is saying, is, hey, I'll take care of you. You're written in the book of life. You will stand in your spot that I have already called you to. Here's the cool part. You could be standing next to Daniel. So today we're celebrating Super Bowl Sunday. How many people do you think are in the NFL? Do you have any guesses? How many people do you think? Ballpark. 1,700 players. How many of them will win a Super Bowl trophy this year? 52. That's it. All of these guys competing and practicing, uh, putting their bodies through all sorts of, of suffering. 52 have a successful Super Bowl championship season because they're on the right team. Now, I don't know if it's going to be the Chiefs or the 49ers, but I do know this. Not everybody who's raised written in the book of life. So the question should be, is your name written in the book? You want to know how you know your name's written in the book of life? If you depend on Christ, who is the resurrection and the life, to save you. If you have called out to Jesus to save you and forgive you of your sin, that's the book your name is in. And so when you die, this is what happens when you die. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what I hold fast to. When you die, the second your last breath here, you go into the presence of God. For those who believe in Christ, you go into the presence of God. It's your soul. It's not your body. Your body's going into the tomb. But one day, Jesus is returning. And when he returns, he raises what is earthly, what is perishable, what has died, and gives us a new life, gives us a new body. And then there's a new city and a new earth. And the Bible describes this beautifully in Revelation chapter 20 and 21. And it's an everlasting kingdom that is given to his people to enjoy forever. And God will be in the midst of us. So I know that no matter what happens, no matter the chaos that will come, I have a God who delivers. And Daniel showed a beautiful picture. That's a real story. That's a real account. A man was really thrown to lions and he was delivered. Men were really thrown into a furnace and they were delivered. God rescues and delivers today. God will rescue and deliver tomorrow. Here's my plea with you. Today, if you've never turned to Jesus, do it today. Do it today. Life is fragile. And once you breathe your last, the books are final. Is your name written in the book of life? It can be. Turn to Jesus today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for this book. Lord, I pray that we are clear on what happens after life. I pray that we're a people that have hope because of what you have done by sending your son, Jesus, who has conquered the grave. And we look forward to the day when we get our new bodies and experience the kingdom forever. But until then, 
May we be passionately pursuing Jesus and others. Father, life is too short to waste our time. I pray that we bring glory to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.